It's something to carve about. Welcome back for another fun-filled episode. I'm Dennis Mitchell, and with me today is consultant, advisor, uh, huge in the nonprofit community, just a great uh, woman around town. It's Tina Finucci Frontato. Thank you very much oh, for joining thank me. Thank you. I really fun. appreciate it. Uh, I got you here uh, on the pretext of the Women Making Change event mm. in Carpinteria. Mm. Made a really big splash. Women's History Month is actually March. You got going in the middle of February to get a little head start, mm. I suppose. So it's off and running now. Gosh, Dennis, you've done your homework. <laughs> yeah. What else I got to yeah, do? Yeah, right? <laughs> so, yeah, you're, you're spot on. That's exactly it. It was actually the brainchild of um, Kim Gutierrez and Jerry Carty from the Alcazar. They're, they're both on the board. And they had said, hey, you know, Women's History Month is March. Let's develop a whole month of programming around um, women and not just within the political sector, but the professional sector, the nonprofit sector, um, issues around those challenges in those sectors, and then also bringing some levity. So we've got a, a comic coming in um, next Friday, and then we've got some musical talent as well. It's um, a very inclusive uh, movement. So this isn't just Women's History Month programming for hist for women. It's it's for all of us. I mean, we we all came from a woman. Um, you know, we're good point, right? We're <laughs> it's okay to help lift each other up. So that's really that's really what this is about. Well, it made a big splash in the local mm -hmm. paper mm -hmm. and yeah. and uh, in the, the news in Santa Barbara and Ventura as well with the march. Uh, for suffragette. No, yeah, I've seen it, it a couple mix. of times. It's very hard to watch. Um, really? It's very hard to watch women being beat up. Um, mm. And, you know, it took almost 100 years for yeah. us to get the vote. Yeah. And we didn't get it. We had to literally fight for it. Um, so... You know, history history can be painful. Yeah, uh, we're finding that out on a lot of fronts oh, right now. Right. Aren't we? Mm. Uh, you know, part of what I fell in love with here in this area was the priority people seemed to put on preserving community uh, and supporting causes, rallies and protests like at De La Guerra Square up in Santa Barbara. I just thought that was so fantastic. It's not quite the same vibe here at CARP, but mm -hmm. you got a good turnout mm -hmm. for the march, mm -hmm. and that was really hard yeah. to see. Yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, and I think, you know, that's particularly Carpinteria's, um, one of the, the beauty spots that they carry is they do get behind causes, good and bad, um, been on both sides mm -hmm. and, you know, bad news travels quicker than good news. And if you, if you want news to, fa to travel really fast, just tell them it's a secret, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know, we've seen this with cannabis where, you know, the sky was falling and cannabis is going to come in and ruin everything. And what, five years later, um, all of the projections of demise have ticked in the opposite direction. Right, so, right. And we're going to touch on that okay. here shortly because I know you're the woman for that. Uh, as far as women making change, what's the next thing then? You said there's a comedian coming Yeah, uh-huh. We've got a comedian. We've got... Um, I think that's Saturday night. I've got to look at it's my... The, the, uh, what the is event this? is on the 5th. On the 5th. That's what okay. uh, Thank you. Um, and then on... I should get my calendar out. I don't have it in front of me. On the 
The sixth is misrepresentation. I don't know if you've seen that. And that's kind of a documentary documentary for for um, format by Katie Couric. And it talks about how the media portrays women and um, kind of the, the watermark that they have developed for us. And then there'll be a panel led by um, Dr. Regina Ruiz, um, that will discuss it in detail. Okay, and the Alcazar seemed to make sense as like a touch point mm. for all mm -hmm. of this. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's the theater we have in town, mm -hmm. uh, holds a few hundred people mm -hmm. and, and is amenable to events like that. Um, these events are free. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not the um, cat, the, the comedian is not oh, free. Oh, okay, that's a show. Yeah, that's a show. And I think it's like $25 a ticket, but she's fabulous and $25 a ticket to go out and that's nothing yeah and it, and it's like you said and it supports the theater which is a fabulous venue yes it's what brought me to carpinteria oh yeah good I, all I, right i'll explain that later all right. uh this isn't just to highlight the overall women's movement uh but to recognize local women who right have made an impact. right yeah and there's so many local women that in 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 really unbeknownst to them that they have be, that they are change makers uh for us you know and I'm going to be turning 60 years old. I've been in Carpinteria all my life. And my mother was actually um, the one that started the Coastal View. I see. Um, wow. She's been a change maker. She, she helped to incorporate the city of Carpinteria. She actually was um, in politics for a very long time. She was the aide to Senator Omar Reigns. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, coming from a full-blooded Italian family to have a mother that was the main breadwinner and... It, that right there is a change maker. Yeah, um, yeah. So I've seen a lot, you know, in my 60 years. We didn't have a whole lot of women doctors when I was growing up or women engineers or, yeah. you know, so, yeah. And, and you see the effect locally no matter where you are. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I was, grew up as a kid in Riverside. And same thing as you're saying. It was a special thing. If a woman had any position of influence, right. it was a different kind of thing. Yeah. Usually, you know, nurses and hardworking people and whatnot. But you're right, in a, kind of in a different class. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. now, you know, now we're now we're having them in our leadership positions, you know, politically and corporate, and you know, all of all of the areas that um, we need and we should be supporting females. Yeah. The glass ceiling's not gone, mm. but uh, but there's a, a dent in it, if we could it's, say so. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it, there's been progress. It's definitely single-paned now. There you go. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of contrasts between Santa Barbara and CARP, uh, but passion for preserving the community uh, as a nice place. That seems to be what they have in common. In contrast to what I see in Ventura County, uh, things seem kind of haphazard with regard to planning mm. and the aesthetic Whereas Santa Barbara County takes a whole different approach to that, it seems to me. Well, uh, maybe the city of Ventura that you're talking about, because I wouldn't say the county. I think Ojai has done a Ojai's fabulous yeah. job. Love Ojai. Um, keeping up with, making themselves attractive for, and yet still keeping that, that charm. Summerlin is another fabulous example mm -hmm. that they are renovating, they are, you know, ticking up in status, but yet it's still Summerlin. I'd love to see Carpinteria do that. Mm -hmm. um, in all honesty, I'm, I'm really not happy with the way our Linden looks. I'm not happy with, 
the dilapidation view. Uh, there's a quaint little hotel that um, the city of Carpinteria is trying to get through. The city of Carpinteria owns the um, the lot, the parking lot that is right next to the train station, and it's terribly underutilized. And it's in any underutilized parking lot anywhere always turns into the same problem. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's very high crime rate area. And they've got, you know, plans for this little small boutique hotel, which would be fabulous. People would travel by train, little 32 room, get off the train, stay in the hotel, visit downtown Carpinteria, spend their money, get on the train and leave. Uh, right now, we only, our hotels are all on the 101. Uh, we don't even get a glimpse of the ocean. Mm -hmm. So I think smart planning uh Life is about change, and if you don't learn how to change and how to change smartly, then you're left behind, and um, not only just left behind, but you end up dilapidated. Well, I'm appreciative that you took on one of the major issues without me having to draw oh, you into okay. it, and that's the Surfliner Inn yeah. we're talking about. It's very controversial. Like I said, I've only been here uh, six, seven months, but I lived in Santa Barbara for years, so I was always following what was going on in Carp. I was over here a lot because I love the community so much, and... I don't want to say knee-jerk, but there tends to be an immediate reaction to any new development here, there, uh, anywhere along the South Coast here, uh, that if you're going to put up a new thing, you're going to get some resistance. Or introduce a new thing. So we saw when cannabis came to town and the whole world, the whole sky was falling, and it was going to change Carpentry as we know it, and we're going to lose all our tourism and all of our property values going to go into the crapper and the crime rate's going to go off the go off the charts and then you know four or five years later all of those econ indicators ticked in the absolute opposite direction um they're like oh okay in this in the same thing it's always been with development um we need smart development i mean we the smartest thing for us to do is to support our downtown t you want people to come in. You want people to spend the money and leave. At a population of 13,000, we do not have enough people in Carpinteria to sustain mm -hmm. all the businesses there. Right. Um, it's economically impossible. Yeah, it's the paradox of a tourism Right, exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, the city of Carpinteria does not receive a single dime from the state park campers. Not a single dime. Didn't and, know that. And a million people come through that campground. So they come through that campground. The demographic that comes through that campground are campers. So they're not visiting our restaurants. They're visiting our pizza places. They're not doing much shopping. The spot makes out because yeah, right. it's that kind of attraction. And it's right there. And it's right there. Yeah. Um, but that's about it. So the city gets a little bit of the sale. You know, of course, we increased our sales tax, so they, they get a percentage of that. However, as you know, with campers, they bring a lot of their stuff in. They they do their shopping before they come here. They don't come to Carpinteria, go to Albertsons, or go to Smart and Final and do their shopping and load up. Right. Any of you that do any kind of camping know that's not how it's done. Right. You might go and pick up some ancillary stuff here and there, but... Whatever so, you forgot. Whatever you forgot. So right. you, you've got a million people that are coming in here and out of here that is, you know, utilizing our infrastructure without us receiving a fair share. So um, 
And that area down there by the beach, this is way before your time, but growing up in my time, that was considered the other side of the tracks. Mm -hmm. So you could go and buy a home there for $8,000 because nobody wanted to live down there. Yeah. That's where the low-income housing was. That's where the Section 8 housing was. There had been a um, tsunami back in the 1950s that came in and wiped out all of that that space and wiped out Padero. That's why Padero was so cheap I see. to buy because wow. nobody wanted to live. It was the swamp. That is was, hard to imagine. Mm, do some, yeah, yeah, I know. Do 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 your research. Uh, we have short memories, so you know we forget about that. So we, you know, I just feel that we as a community, we we don't we, we don't need to look like Montecito by any means, but. I'd like to be able to drive down Linden and be proud of what's going on. That 700 Linden, the one that was the Omwigs, yeah. that they have plans for. Well, the reason they haven't broke ground is they were waiting for commitments. They were trying to get commitments from tenants. And they can't ink them. I see. Because, you know, anybody that is smart, they, they, they look for uh, future indicators of street traffic, foot traffic, and... It's very hard to come in and commit to coming into Carpinteria and paying this kind of rent when they don't feel that they're going to get the demographic that's going to frequent their business. So, you know, we've had that business that's been sitting vacant for 10 years. Hmm. I see. 10 years, yeah, 12. That's, that's kind of glaring. Takes up the whole block. Yeah, in, in terms of the need. Yeah. And, and then if you just kind of do a 360... I mean, you've got some buildings that are looking nicer, you know, have been kind of upgraded a bit, and then the other ones that are still looking hodgy-podgy. There's a parallel there, if I may, uh, being a relative newcomer to this whole area, with Old Town Goleta. Mm, I see yeah. kind of what you're describing right. there, where... It, it's an odd paradox there where yep. uh, very little of it has been improved upon since, say, the 60s right. or 70s. Right. Yet there is this desire to keep it that way. People don't seem to want to make major changes in Old Town or at least commit to the money that would need to be spent for that to happen. Um, so it takes a mindset. It takes a majority. It takes people really wanting that to happen, you know. And it's uh, really interesting, too, because like I said, I've been born and raised. We didn't we didn't have shopping centers when I was growing up. There was no Casitas Pass. There was no Shepherd's um, Plaza. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything was lemon groves. I mean, our whole day was because George Bliss had the lemon packing company at the time. So Casitas Pass... It would take Casitas Pass over to Carp Avenue down on, is that Maple? What's the one that goes straight down to the beach? Uh, that's where the packing company was, is where the lofts are now. I see. So our the whole day was huge, you know, open trucks with lemons coming down the whole time. So when when she, when Casitas Pass was being built, I mean, that was that was a huge thing for us that we now have a shopping center. We didn't have a grocery store. We had, it was like a little tiny place that you would go in to get groceries, but we never really had like a real grocery store. Yeah. I remember when the Browns brought in and they built um, where Smart and Final is. I think it was Safeway when I was growing up and they had a toy section. And I can just remember thinking that was just the cat's meow that you could go <laughs> in and see all the toys. So 
you know, when, when people say, oh, we don't want carp to change, I'm like, what are you talking about? Carp yeah. has been changing since the day I was born. And right. if and if you go back even farther to even before we were incorporated, you know, when this was all lemons and avocados and oak trees and things evolve. And I, I don't even know where that comes from because it's it's not even really deep dive thinking. It's just kind of a mantra. Uh, yeah. We don't want carp to change. Well, I want to say, well, first of all, how long have you been here? Um, carp to change since when? Yeah, at what point? Since when we were incorporated? Do you want it frozen in time? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and frozen in time isn't smart. Yeah. I mean, um, that's the whole point of having a historical association and is that you do then you can deem certain buildings historical, but... You know, carp doesn't have a whole lot of those that would even be worthy of falling in um, that category. And I do feel like the new business, like Sunburst, what Sunburst had to go through, the new little winery called Sunburst, that's terrible. That's terrible that they would it would take them years to take an old dilapidated building that had sat there, and I don't know how long sat, that's been a long time, and have it transformed into something that was is appealing and inviting and it was just licensing and uh, approvals. Oh, yeah, that it, they had it's to... it's a long arduous yes. path. Well, I know, I know that in Santa Barbara, the city of so, Car- yeah, and very. Then, and some of that entails what the county feels too. I know this is something to carp about. My guest is Tina Fanucci Frontado, and we'll be back right after these. Childhood is full of wonder, and we get the chance to relive it with our grandchildren every day. But imagine missing special moments with a grandchild or seeing them through cloudy vision. The Foundation Fighting Blindness can help by providing valuable information about diagnosing and treating AMD. Age-related macular degeneration is the leading cause of vision loss in people 55 and older, but it doesn't have to be. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is driving research and saving sight by providing information about diagnosing and treating AMD. Don't miss a moment of your grandchildren's youthful wonder because of poor vision. Learn more about vision-saving preventions and treatments. Call the Foundation Fighting Blindness today at 1-800-BLINDNESS for a free packet on reversing or managing AMD. Or go to the website fightblindness.org where you can find so much helpful information. Call 1-800-BLINDNESS today. That number again is 1-800-BLINDNESS or fightblindness.org. Did you know 26 million Americans have kidney disease and most don't know it? Did you know understanding your risk of kidney disease may be the first step in treating it? Visit the National Kidney Foundation at kidney.org. Now you know. It's something to carp about. I'm Dennis Mitchell. She is Tina Fanucci Frontato. Uh, thank you so much for making it in today. Really do appreciate it. And we were talking about the paradox between um, growth and modernization and keeping up with the times, yet you have this quaint charm of a beach community uh, and, and and how that gap can be bridged for the future. The last we heard about the Surfliner, it's going to be on the ballot. Uh, I've heard more approval of that right. than, than any other one thing. It's like at least give us a chance to vote on it um, well, let me let me and, make and, some... and now the campaign begins to get the good information. It's like everybody I've talked to really just wants more information on it. Right. And so the Surfliner is not on the ballot. Oh, I thought it, it was. It is not the initiative. The initiative is to rezone, actually change the general plan of the city 
and recategorize the definition of open space. I see. So they want to deem that parking lot that is commercial zoned in the downtown city of Carpinteria next to a train depot, open space. Uh huh. So well, that effectively puts it on the ballot, I guess. Oh no, it is going to. But that's what you're voting on. Do yeah. you want to change the general plan or not? Uh-huh. The problem with that is. Once it gets changed into open space, and now that would allow an overlay of residential. So then the state could come in and say, because of where it is, because it's so close to transportation, and each jurisdiction now in the state of California has got to build so many residential houses within a certain period of time, and if they don't meet that milestone, they're fined a ridiculous amount Daily, yeah, you know yeah, that. Yeah, I followed that. Right, so this could open up for an overlay of that, where that could then be turned into affordable housing, three stories high, the size of Costco down yeah. there. Yeah. Um, I think it's the most ridiculous, can I say asinine on the radio? Oh, you can asinine say whatever you want on a podcast. use of... <laughs> Time and materials, all because one neighbor over there does not want it. And she has brilliantly, effectively launched a campaign for the last three years against this initiative. And and that's the other, the, the yin and the yang of Carpinteria. It doesn't take a whole lot to get people yeah. riled up. Yeah. And so she would actually stand in that parking lot and tell people that... All of this is going to go away, and there's going to be a three-story hotel room with hundreds of rooms. We're going to have no more parking. Can you imagine what the trap? And people are like, what? I'm going to cry. What's going to happen? My whole world's going to fall apart. Um, so that's what I have to say about that. Okay. Well, now, parking is an issue in Carpinteria. Actually, it's not an issue in Carpinteria. If you've read the parking studies over and over again, um, yes, if you want to pull up and park in front of the good plow and get out and eat. Yeah, if they're busy, you might have to park a half a block away okay. and walk in, Dennis. All right. But um, there's plenty of parking in Carpinteria. Well, okay. Um, the stickling point I've heard uh, on You've the heard. other side right. is that parking lot at the train depot. And that's something that merchants pay a fee or something to be able to, to, right. to secure spaces All there so that everybody... pay a fee for every parking lot in Carpinteria. Okay, so how does that change? How does that change if the hotel gets built? Well, they're actually adding more parking space. So the city of Carpinteria also bought the land that runs all behind the spot. Right. For like $800,000. That's where I presumed we were talking about, yeah. Well, there's two lots. There's the main lot. We're going to call that lot number three right now. And then let's call lot number four, the one behind the whole one that runs the whole length of. Yeah, that's undeveloped now. That's yeah. under that's undeveloped. So um, the city bought that purposely with the intent of building another parking lot for beachside parking lots. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. City doesn't have any money. I don't know if you've ever looked at the budget, but they're, you know, they're always running right there on that rail. So they came up with, they developed, it's their land. They came up with the develop, the idea of developing an RFP, of putting this little boutique hotel there, not unlike what the city of Santa Barbara does, you know, the harbor and the wharf and all those. They own all that property and they just lease it out. So the city 
still owns the land, would now own the building, and then give the, the, the purveyors um, a 50-year lease. So then the city garners so much money, I think it's 700000 a year in lease, and then they'd also get the bed tax, and then they're also negotiating another another separate tax. So the city would probably be getting about a million dollars a year off this, which will cost them nothing. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, they're negotiating with the Surfliner would also develop that other parking lot for them as well. That'll have bike trails, walk trails. It'll be beautiful because the railroad's putting in another line. Oh, I see. Didn't know. Yeah, Didn't hear the that. railroad's putting is slated to put in another line. So those couple of homes that back up, you're gonna want a parking lot back there that has all the, the the trees and everything to buffer this next line that's gonna be coming. Yeah, definitely a city in transition. Uh, it's kind of exciting as a, a somebody in a, with a journalism background. Uh, I'm having a good time here watching all of this. Uh, and seeing how it how it develops, do you foresee that the 101 project in particular will bring enough new business to Carpinteria in terms of people stopping here, being able to get here that much easier, that maybe the tide will turn as far as modernization and giving Linden a different look? What I would really like to see, Dennis, is to utilize that train. You know, we are one of the very few cities in all of California that that train comes in and drops you off straight in the middle of town. Reminds me very much of, of, of Europe. We were Italian. We go, you know, being, yeah. we had a home there for many, many decades. Trains fact, rule there, yes. Yeah. And that's what I find it so unique is that the train comes in and drops you off right in the middle of downtown. I would really like to see and that this has been the conversation with our city leaders is promoting train travel. You get on the train, you come into town, spend a couple nights here, you get back on the train, go up to Santa Barbara, spend a couple nights there. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to see less car use. Yeah. Well, that's the idea with any mass right. transit. And, exactly. Um, and Amtrak, uh, to its credit, I, I have heard commercials and radio and TV, mm -hmm. exactly what you're mm -hmm. describing there. So you're talking about maybe a partnership locally mm -hmm. to help push those points. And it's already happening. The, the hotels up and down our coast that are close to the train tracks already um, collaborate with each other, putting together packages. And there, there's a huge movement. Um, of people traveling by train. I mean, it's such a beautiful view. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, a view that you can't see unless you're on the train. Yeah, and you know what? It's actually economical. It's actually... Oh, and environmental. Affordable, especially with gas doing right. what it's exactly. doing right now. Yeah. So that's what I would like to see. In terms of residential development, that also raises red flags. And I know there's one project being proposed out of Baylor uh, Avenue that uh, is got a lot of people up in arms, mm -hmm. uh, but affordable housing is such a crucial issue in Santa Barbara and Santa Barbara County in general. Even Santa Maria points north, uh, it's hard to find an affordable place to live. And the easy answer would seem to be just build more houses. Uh, but we're, we were talking aesthetic, we were talking, you know, people's objections. How do you see the happy meeting ground there? Or is there one? I mean, something has to give. Well, especially with the 101, be... especially if 101 brings that many more people here who weren't aware of Carpinteria right. and they get off the freeway. It's like, well, I would just love to live here. Well, well every, I'm right there. 
I would love to live here is why our property values are so high. Yeah. That's who wouldn't want to love to love to live here. Right. It, it is what it is. Uh, we are never going to be able to build enough housing to accommodate everybody that wants to live here. That's economics 101. Well, you could if you built them up into the hillsides where it looked horrible. And, you know, well, if, if well, you followed the pattern of other well, we cities, like I was saying We don't have enough water. We don't have enough infrastructure. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's not. And then, and then what happens, Dennis, if we build enough so that everyone that wants to live here wants to live here, then nobody will want to live here. So you've just <laughs> defeated, you've just You're right. defeated your yeah. en entire purpose. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's a political football. In those, in reality, there is no such thing as affordable housing unless the the state wants to highly subsidize um, the purchase and the development of land. Well, yeah. And, and then there's the natural course of inflation and how much prices have gone up. Uh, and, and especially the current time we're in, we're talking to each other in February of 2022 when astronomical inflation is taking place and in housing we're seeing it as well it started a long time ago in Santa Barbara just open Craigslist and try to find a place and and you you find literally bedrooms in a place for two thousand dollars a month and the question on everyone's mind is when does that when does when is there some give when is that going to break when will we see a break where it could come down to where maybe You're there may not gonna, be an answer to there's, that there's never going to be a break uh, it's, it's just like the same conversation you know I bought my First property, 20, I think it was 25, 30 years ago, and it was a, a triplex downtown Santa Barbara for like $270,000. And that, to me, was a lot of money oh, back it then. Was, it absolutely was. That was a lot of money back then. Yeah. But I always knew that um, prices were never going to come down. It's it's just impossible for where we live and the demand for where we live. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless we have a horrible disaster and we're wiped out and we're tarnished that you don't ever want to live there, I can't see that happening in, in our lifetime. Yeah. So, and then, you know, what happened with COVID where people just got completely priced out of the market yeah. and you have people coming in, buying here for second and third homes um, Waiting lists are the order of the day. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't believe building up. I think I think that Baylor project is a shit show. It's already so condensed up there. I don't I don't know where they're gonna. Uh, what is it? Three hundred hundred and fifty units. Uh, one hundred and sixty nine. Hundred hundred and seventy units. So so we're talking. You know, 300 plus more cars uh -huh. just through that little corridor. Yeah. And when those were originally built, there was no real off-street parking because now it's in that diagonal, you know, if you drive up there. That was not made for that. It was only made to go in and out. And now, you know, because there's so many people living up there and so many of the tenants complain that you know, parking there was horrible. They put in that diagonal parking. So when you go up there to drive, it's still pretty close. Like if somebody's backing out of, you know, you got to stop. So I can't, I can't imagine 300 people. And I just, I just don't feel that that is going to solve anything. I know that they say, well, it's not just affordable housing. It's, it's also going to be housing for the workforce, you know, for the higher end workforce and, I mean, what kind of dent is that really going to make? So 
I would rather see us focused on building our downtown T, really, you know, becoming a place where people come in, spend their money, and leave. Yeah. We don't have to build infrastructure. We don't have to build schools. We don't have to build all that that comes with building. And, you know, and that's the thing is that three, those 280, those 180 new units, that's in the county. However, that's going to impact the city. Those kids are going to have to go to city or Carpinteria School District. Right. Carpinteria's Growing Pains. I'm with uh, Tina Fanucci frontado and we'll be back with more of Something to Carp About right after these. Think fast. In the short time it takes to listen to this message, a small flame can turn into a big fire. Several minutes more, and thick, poisonous smoke may have filled your lungs and reduced your ability to respond. Give it five, and your entire home may be filled with flames. Keep breathing. We've got you. Don't let your world go up in smoke. Have working smoke alarms and practice an escape plan for you and your loved ones. Learn more at usfa.fema.gov, because fire is everyone's fight. We're at the Santa Barbara County Animal Shelter, and I will be translating messages that some of our friends want to share about dog licensing. This is Randy. What do you have to say, Randy? Us dogs here at the shelter are happy to know that there are caring and responsible dog owners in our community who get their dogs licensed. How about you, Matilda? I just want the listeners to know that dog licenses help Santa Barbara County Animal Services operate three open-door shelters. What do you have to say, Little Merle? I want to remind the dog owners in Santa Barbara County that they are required by law to license their dogs. Licensing your dog proves you are a responsible pet owner and helps us animals at the shelter find loving homes. Be a responsible dog owner. It licenses your dog's ticket home. Show you care. License your dog. It's the law. To learn more about purchasing a dog license in Santa Barbara County, visit www.projectpetsafe.org. Something to carp about. I'm with Tina Fanucci Frontato, and I'm so happy to have a longtime carpenterian here who is here to see the development, the growing pains. One of the people I worked with in Santa Barbara told me that during the 60s and 70s, uh, shortly after incorporation, right around that time, uh, this was a kind of rough and tumble community. She even used said bikers. Uh, this is a regular stop, and it was never thought of as, as kind of a, a glamorous or even charming little beach place. It was a rough kind of community. Do you concur, and when did you start to see that change? Uh, you know, I don't know if we would call each other a rough community. We were definitely down to earth. Okay. Um, pretty much, you know, we were kind of sequestered from Santa Barbara. We weren't into Ventura, so we kind of had our own land here. When did it change? Well, the state park, well, the state park was going on when I was growing up. I don't know. I mean, there, we became known through a lot of through a lot of the Hollywood folks. They started to recognize this quaint little town in Carpinteria. And then of course Kate's school began to attract a higher echelon of student, a more wealthy student. Mm -hmm. And that would bring those families to town and they'd go, oh, you know. Well, here, if I could be specific, yeah. uh, like I said, I'm, I'm relatively new yeah. and I can only observe things and see them how I see them. Uh, when did we start to see development on the other side of where 101 is now? Because it seems like that, frankly, is a different kind of community than on the other oh, the, side the, going down toward the beach. The Baylor? The mountainside. So when, when did all of that kind of uh, start those to Those were built, happen? so I was in fifth grade. So what was that? 1974 
mm-hmm. when those started to get build, built. And then the industrial park that we know that now off of Cindy Lane, that's on the other side. That was that was built probably around early 1980s, late 1970s. So all of that was just orchard, mm-hmm. right? Ralph Brand had a lot to do with that. Ralph Brown and St. Frank's. Yeah, I've Serena seen the photos. Had a lot yeah, to do yeah, with that development. Amazing. Yeah. And then Shepherd's Place, that was in the 80s that was built. Or was it the 90s? That recently. Yeah, it wow. was it, it was one of the most more recent ones. And then of course McDonald's came in. Um, cuz none of that was there when we were Casitas Pass Road just took you up to Casitas Pass. <laughs> yeah, we had um so I grew up on Star Pine Road, and there there was Ogan. There was some housing development there, but the big housing development came in when I was, I think, in junior high. And so, I mean, we've seen little by little more housing is, is being built, and um, yeah, it's been over, I don't know, the last 50 years, I, I guess. Yeah, yeah, quite the contrast. It's a fascinating story. I never yeah. get tired of hearing it, honestly. Yeah, I, we, we weren't a bunch of... Summerlin was the scary place for us growing up. I see. Yeah, who would have... I mean, you look at Summerlin now... No, just, every uh, house with an ocean oh, view. It's, and it's just That gorgeous. nice terrace up there. I mean, yeah. you talk about not finding parking. Yeah, oh, you, that's true. It is, you yeah. know, everybody wants to go to... And, and Ojai, it's so funny. Everybody, you know, Ojai growing up too was always kind of the, the hippy-dippy place. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Now it's kind of one of the jewels. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nothing like a day trip to Ojai. Right. Really, it's yeah. fantastic. Uh, you are one of the leading advocates for the normalization of legal cannabis in our area. You were compelled to find out more about what the growers are doing. And once you did, uh, you saw that it really isn't a bad thing after all. You have your work cut out for you in this regard, uh, don't you? <sighs> just from what I can see, yeah. having just arrived here... But I followed this debate uh, on my arrival in Santa Barbara in 2014. Okay. Uh, this is a divisive issue here, but the bottom line is the bottom line. Well, I think there's a bottom line. I think there's an environmental bottom line. Um, I think there's a neighborhood bottom line. Uh, so where we live, we are surrounded by greenhouses, and they grew cut flowers for decades. And cut flowers are beautiful, but they're very hard on the environment. They require a lot of pesticides. Uh, they require specific types of transportation. That means big refrigerator trucks. Mm-hmm. So a lot of refrigerator trucks up on the 192 going back and forth. They're seasonal, which means that their workers have seasonal work. They don't have consistent work. Um, so when cannabis came in, and I mean, I've got to tell you, you kind of knew right away it was a new plant because of the lack of traffic. So we went from 40, 50 refrigerator trucks on the 192 every day to none. Uh-huh. Because it's a little little tiny sprinter van that comes, yeah. I think, every three days to uh-huh. do a pickup. You know, their, their employees are now full-time employees because it's not a seasonal crop. And they get a living wage. They have benefits. Um so I was asked about that recently, and, and it seemed to me that had to be the case, or you'd hear them squawking. Oh, of you'd course. Hear some, and of I course. never hear that. It's know. a beaut- It's it's fabulous. Yeah. So, 
you know, they're, they've taken this demographic that has, you know, had to work two and three jobs to barely making it to still having to work, you know, to aspire to great things. But boy, they, they're definitely giving them the foundation. And then most importantly for me is the environmental impact. Mm -hmm. So cut flowers requires a lot of you can use a lot of chemicals and cut flowers because you're not, it's not an edible product. Nobody's going to eat the flowers. No, that's, uh, <laughs> that's true. So, so you by law, which is under the Fair Farm Act bill, you, you can use a different list of pesticides for these flowers. So that had taken for these farmers to convert to cannabis, they have upwards of millions of dollars to scrub their greenhouses clean enough so that they could grow cannabis. And now, you know, this is such a new industry and they all want to be the best of the best. They, they've learned to use nature, lady, ladybug larvae, as pesticides. Right, the best. So we no longer have to see those big tanker trucks coming up, bringing up the pesticides. We don't smell it, um, the pesticides. Yeah, we get a little whiff here and there of cannabis, but... We live up in the, the hill, so if it's not somebody's septic tank or the polo fields and the horses, it, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, I do. There's an opportunity cost to everything. And for us and the majority of all of us neighbors, I mean, all all you hear are the, loud, the, the couple, a small handful of loud ones that make noise. But the majority of people are like... Thank you. We appreciate this. And they're, and these are good people. Right. Hey, it passed. The voters right, spoke. Right. It passed here. Um, and, and that's been, I don't want to call it amusing, but uh, it is amusing uh, to sit back and watch, frankly, a small contingent of people make enough noise uh, to be heard and have as much of an impact as they have. And spread terrible fear. My father was dying of heart failure, and they had him on a plethora of medications. A man who probably had had 50 drinks in his entire life, mm. and he would have these horrible anxiety attacks now. He wasn't sleeping, blah, blah, blah. So um, I began dosing him with edibles. A friend of mine had showed me, you know, have him take, you know, 2.5 and then blah. Anyway, so my, so, my, so my dad would say, oh, you know, tell his friends, oh, I'm taking the pot now. <laughs> <laughs> but what really got me into this truly was the city of Carpinteria wanted to prohibit the delivery of cannabis and that the only way to get it is that they would have to drive to a dispensary. And back then it was only medicinal use. So I couldn't even go in there and just buy it for my dad. Um, and I was like, this is cruel and unusual punishment. Why? So that was really what started me on, on the train there. And then having my neighbors that have switched from growing flowers to growing cannabis and how much money, time, effort, sweat they have put into making it top notch and setting a watermark and like, damn, we should be giving them awards. Yeah. We should be thanking them. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. Uh, Carpenter Rio Valley Radio, of which this is a part, uh, has taken a pro-cannabis approach because we feel the growers could use more of a voice that way. And um, it, it, when it comes down to the smell, I like it. I like it a lot. I go down to get uh, my lunch or breakfast at uh, Altenio Rincon uh, there on Santa Monica Road. 
And on a morning at 6 in the morning or 6.30, it's like, I think that's a very fragrant and pleasant odor. And not only does it not bother me, it, that symbolizes victory. That symbolized victory over mm. 80 years of mm -hmm. oppression and lies and right. uh, all the things that were wrong with the, the war on madness. drugs. Right. So the only thing that gets me touchy is when I hear them saying that the smell causes bad health effects. And that's absolutely untrue. I mean, you can object to this and be democratic about it, be intelligent about it, get your argument out there. But when you start bringing that in... When you lie. Okay, uh, you, you said it. Mm -hmm. uh, then it becomes... that Then you're doing yourself more damage yeah. because then you don't have any credibility on the rest of the issues right. either. And they do have some good points here and there, you know. Uh, but yeah, it's like I see more misinformation than, than what is helpful. And it's, it's to the extreme that they actually have gone back to court and tried to get pot illegalized again. It's like you're not being realistic. It's like that horse is out of the barn. Um, so uh, you see forward progress. We don't have a dispensary in Carpinteria, but they're looking at putting one in Santa Claus Lane, which mm -hmm. is in the county. I visited that yesterday. I, I have a problem with that because, you know, even on a cloudy, nasty day, you can't get a parking space there. Well, they've got, they've got 15 spaces behind. Re oh, really? Oh, they've got I've a whole... I've never seen that. Right. Oh, so they've got a the whole and... parking lot behind their, their building. Oh, I see. Yeah. Did not know. Learned something right. in the podcast there's today. A 20, it's huge. <laughs> um, I don't know if you had ever gone to Porch when it was Porch. They have, if you go out there double doors, probably more. I'd say 30 spaces back mm. there, 40 mm. spaces. It's See, I wouldn't know where there was any parking back there oh, at all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and it's all theirs. Oh, okay. So the owners of the new dispensary coming in, that's all. And it's a beautiful parking lot. And so there's plenty of parking. Obviously, there's more sympathetic ear at the at the county level than here in Carpinteria. Is there any notion that dispensaries could come to Carpinteria? Well, we need a movement. So the city right now has um, an ordinance that they do not allow any type of cannabis business within the city limits. Mm -hmm. So it would take a group of people to put some pressure on our city leaders to get an ordinance drafted and adopted. Okay. In order for that to happen, and when I had met with the new owners yesterday at the dispensary and thank them for being brave because, you know, they're getting hate like anybody would. I said, it's so bizarre. It's like, you know, Carpinteria is the capital of cannabis. It's like Napa Valley not having a tasting room. Yeah. Uh, but even stranger, it would be like a, a bunch of citizens in Napa not wanting it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and there, Wine. And, oh, that's... and there's, and there's not a bunch of people. There's a handful of very loud, tenacious people. Right. And that's what we have to keep in mind. That's the impression I've gotten yeah. too. So, uh, I really appreciate your time. Um, like I said, I brought you here on the uh, women making change event. Follow us so, on Facebook, Women Making Change. Okay, and you're posting the list of local women. Yep. I, I really have enjoyed oh, that. Good, because I'm, yeah. I'm still new and learning, and oh, good. I recognize some of those oh, names, and it makes me want to know the rest that's of them. That's great. So, uh, best of luck with that. Uh, equal rights, great strides having been made, and uh, and we're celebrating that all in the month yeah. of March. And yeah. uh, Carpinteria taking the lead with a with its own little celebration, I think, yeah. is just fantastic. Fine. Uh, so thank you very much. Mm. This has really been a great learning experience. That's why I started this podcast. I want to know more about Carpinteria. I love it. And something to carp about doesn't mean something to gripe about. Yeah. It means let's get into doing Carpinteria type things. Uh, Tina Fanucci Furtado, uh, it's been a real delight. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank I hope we can so do it much. again sometime. Oh, I'd love it. Thank you. All right.